we don't know each other. My name is Brian. I'm on the pastoral care team. Would you pray with me quickly before we start? Let's pray together. Lord, it's an honor to be before you, uh, to be entrusted to deliver a message. And I pray this morning um, that it, it not be a fleshly message, that it be, that I just be a vessel, Lord, to deliver and invoke a truth, a curiosity, and a challenge to all of us about how to better live, to walk in your word, in your will, Lord, and to better know your love for us. So God, dictate, organize, and deliver this message as you would see fit, Lord. We just come together joyfully. We're thankful to be here in your presence and ask this in the name of Jesus, amen. Second message in our series called Detox. If you were here last week, we taught on the concept of toxic thoughts. We're gonna take it a little step further this week and we're gonna discuss how to uh, overcome toxic influences, okay? So toxic is defined as anything containing poisonous materials capable of causing sickness or death. I don't know what you think of when you think of detox. What comes to mind for me is two alcoholic uncles and an alcoholic grandfather. I think about how hard it was for them to detox from alcoholism. And I remember a story, my mother, when I was about 21 years old, started developing ulcers in her stomach. And it got so bad over about six months that she kind of got to the point where she was almost unconscious. And so the night before Easter, I took her in to the hospital and those ulcers had eaten almost all the way through her stomach lining and, and that the toxic stuff from inside of her stomach started to spill out into the rest of her body. They call that sepsis. So I think of, of that toxic overflow and, and almost to the point where she died from it. Interestingly, toxic by definition also has a, a secondary meaning. This is, this is a little unique. It also pertains to a debt that probably will not repay. If you guys have ever heard the term toxic mortgages, what that means is a mortgage that has a very low likelihood or is not going to get repaid to the bank. So ironically, when you think about Jesus and the salvation principle and toxicity and a debt that will not be repaid, we're thankful that Jesus paid a debt that couldn't otherwise be paid for us. Amen? Right, isn't that cool? I mean, he paid a debt that we had to sacrifice animals and follow ceremonial laws in order to gain favor and atonement for our sins. So Jesus paid that debt, that toxic debt that couldn't otherwise be paid for us. So to, to toxify something means you take something clean and you make it unclean. You take something healthy and make it unhealthy. Or you take something pure and corrupt it. So on another hand, the, the word influence means anything that can affect our thoughts, opinions, or our attitudes. So when you mix those together, you see that toxic influences are anything that will negative, negatively affect our thoughts, our opinions, and our behaviors. So that's the premise for today's message, and we're going to learn about the toxic influences in our lives, and we're going to figure out how to detox from them. So the reason we care really is because toxic influences can bring harm to ourselves and to others, but more importantly, they actually cause us to oppose God's will for our life. That's what toxic influences do to us. Our core scripture today is going to be in the book of James. If we could bring the scripture up, this is James 4, verses 1 through 8. This is James uh, Jesus' brother who is writing here. And uh, it's going to be the foundation of about uh, this concept about toxic influence. So let's read together here in James 4. It says, What causes fight and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle from within you? You desire, but you don't have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You don't have 
because you don't ask God. When you do ask, you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. From this scripture, we see there are really three core toxic influences in our lives. We're going to start with the first one, which is the flesh. So if you're taking notes, that's your first fill-in today. The first toxic influence in our life, according to James 4, is the flesh. Let's take a look at scripture in Galatians 5, 16 through 17. It says, So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. You know, one of the the key memories for me about the the battle between the, the conscious, sort of the spirit and the flesh for me was, I was about 14 years old, and I started hanging out with a kid named Chris. Chris wasn't exactly a great influence, let's just say, okay? And Chris had this idea that we were going to go to the mall and we were going to steal a pair of jeans, right? So it was, my, it was my sister's 16th birthday. I'll never forget. We go to the mall. And of course, mom, can Chris come along? So Chris came along with us. And we get into the mall and my sisters go one way with my mom and Chris and I go the other direction. And so we're walking down the mall and all of a sudden, here's Jocelyn's. You guys remember the store Jocelyn's? I don't think, they, I don't think they're around anymore. So here's Jocelyn's, and my heart just starts racing because I knew what was going to happen. And so we go into Jocelyn's, and the first mistake I, I made was I wore shorts into the store. Very bad idea, and I'm not condoning shoplifting, but if you're ever going to steal a pair of jeans, don't go in the store with shorts, okay? You get why? Okay? It looks obvious when you come in with shorts and walk out with jeans. So I, I go in the store, and I grab a pair of jeans. I go in the dressing room, put the jeans on over my shorts, and walk out of the dressing room, and I, I mean, I... Obviously, I was scared and nervous and mortified, but I'm just thinking about, oh, yeah, I just got to get outside to where Chris is so, you know, I can earn his, you know, friendship or trust or credibility or whatever it is. So I proceed to walk out of Jocelyn's, and I get out into the little commons area. They have the little planters where you can sit on the benches, and here's Chris standing there, and he's just got a big old smile, and he's like, yeah, dude. He's high-fiving me, and he's just like, you did it. You did it. And I'm like, yeah, I did it. And, and then all of a sudden, I see Chris look kind of to the side of me and behind me. And I turn around and here comes a guy and he puts his hand on my shoulder and he shows me his badge and said, I need my jeans back. And so they took me upstairs and they booked me, did the whole thing. Well, of course, they went and found my mom. We didn't have cell phones back then, but they went and found my mom. And I'm in, you know, deep, you know what, of course. My sister, my 16-year-old sister thought this was hilarious because here's goody good little Brian getting caught for shoplifting on her 16th birthday. She thought that was like the greatest birthday present ever, right? And I never lived it up. But this is a conflict between and I wasn't a Christian back then, but, but I would call it between the conscience and the flesh. And I think we all have those certain experiences that you can relate to, whether it was you were a Christian and you had that battle between the spirit and the flesh or between your conscience, what your parents ever told you not to do and you still did it, that conflict. So fill in your story there. That's just a memory from my past. 
So let's look at what to do when we want to detox from the influences of the flesh. The first thing we need to do is acknowledge our sins. You can write that down if you want, if you're taking notes. Some really smart guy one time, or smart people, developed what they call a 12-step program. You guys ever heard of a 12-step program? You guys heard of it for rehabilitation? What's the key organization you think of when you think of a 12-step program? AA, right? Alcoholics Anonymous. Some really smart people developed this philosophy that, that within 12 steps, we can take people that, are, that have addictions, in this case, uh, to alcoholism, and we can actually help them rehabilitate. What's the first step of those 12? It's to ad- admit, is admit you have a problem, right? And so I think there's a, there's a tie in there with our sin. When, when we're buried in sin, whether it's addiction or conflict or relational issues or whatever it is, the first thing we need to do is acknowledge our sin, sort of admit it, right? Just quit sweeping it under the carpet. Make light of it and allow God to work there. Because when we mask our sins, guys, they don't really ever heal themselves. I mean, very rarely. I mean, so God can do a miracle, and he has, and he will. But very rarely do we just kind of, I used to tell the high school boys when I was doing youth ministry, we used to say, hey, how many of you are single? And so, you know, 75% would raise their hand. And I was like, guys, if you think you can just sit on your couch, put a sign on the door that says, cute, nice Christian girls, come on in, I'm here waiting for you. And then they're just gonna come in and say, hey, here I am. Newsflash, it's probably not gonna happen, you know? And the same thing here, if we just sit around just kind of buried in our sin, expecting that some, you know, magically that it's gonna disappear, it just doesn't work that way. So the first thing we need to do to detox from them is to acknowledge our sins. The second thing is to accept the Holy Spirit's help. That's the second way we can detox. You guys, if you look at scripture, you know what's really cool about scripture is that God, it's all God breathed and inspired. Would we all agree? Yeah? And if, if, you, if you're still kind of wondering about the Bible, that's the truth. It's all God inspired. But if you look at scripture, the word spirit, it exists in two different ways, even in the English. Okay, we have spirit with a lowercase s and spirit with a capital S. Do you know what the difference between the two is? Well, one is the Holy Spirit, right? When it's capitalized, it's, it's a name. Like in English, you learned about proper nouns, names, places, they're all capitalized. We were born with a spirit. All of us were. It's just a lowercase s. And then when we make a decision for Christ, we commit our life to Christ, the Holy Spirit comes upon us, and then all of a sudden it's capital S. It's Holy Spirit. And so the truth is the Holy Spirit's the greatest, it's the secret weapon to fighting against the flesh. John 16, it says the Holy Spirit will convict us of our sin. That's the sort of identify and admit part. He will comfort us when we're hurting. And although that happens in times of tragedy and and heartache, it's that sort of remorse and repentance part that happens in the restoration part. And then when we go to the rehabilitation part, it says that he will counsel us about how to live right. And that's the rehab part. That's after that first step in the 12-step program. Then you get on to the Holy Spirit administering and we get the other 11 steps, so to speak. Okay? So we got to accept the Holy Spirit's help. We want to detox from the influences of the flesh. And lastly, we need to adopt new habits. So you can see the little uh, 3A um, tie-in here. Acknowledge, accept, and adopt. Adopting new habits, guys, this would be things such as lifestyle changes, new friends, church involvement, daily scripture reading, maybe more prayer. How long, can anybody in here tell me how long do they say statistically it takes to build a new habit? Does anybody know? How much? Well, yeah, I hear, so 21 and 30 days. So let's just take, okay, no, it's Darcy and Anna, of course. So let's just take 
let's just take 30 days. Let's be conservative. Let's say it takes 30 days to build a new habit. What if, just some ideas, what if you purged a negative person from your life for 30 days? What if you did that? And I'm not saying if, you've, if your spouse is the most negative person on, that, that you know, okay? I'm not, I'm not saying, honey, I'm going on a 30-day leave of absence, okay? I'm just saying there's those people that you can selectively omit from your life. So what if you did that for 30 days? What if you read your Bible every day for 30 days? I know at the beginning of the year, we, we hear all these sermons and messages and pastors teach, okay, we're gonna read our Bible every day for a month or for the year. We're gonna read through the Bible in a year. But what if you really read the Bible every day for 30 days? What if you built a habit? What if you prayed for your spouse every night for 21 or 30 days? You know, I, I was in, a, I belong to a, a Christian CEO roundtable, Christian business leaders. And one of the most fascinating conversations we ever had was about praying with your spouse. And it seems like something that would just be biblical that we would all just do, right? And I started learning that it doesn't happen. And I'm not, listen, and maybe some of you pray together on a frequent basis, but many of us don't. What if every night, and, and I'm not talking about just during meals, which Jill and I both, we do that almost every meal with the pray together, but what if you actually stopped when you put the kids to bed or maybe you're an empty nester before you, you, know, you turn off, uh, not David Letterman, who's Jimmy Fallon or something, okay? And you actually just went with your spouse and prayed together for, I don't know, a few minutes. Prayed about things that you were on their heart. What if you did that for 30 days? Here's one for you. What if you ate well for 30 days? Anybody ever done a diet for 30 days? Made it 30 days? It's kind of tough, but what happens after 30 days is you start to like get accustomed to it. It feels comfortable, right? It feels normal until you go to a wedding or a, a you know, special event. You say, well, I'm just gonna do it just this one day. I'm just gonna cheat one day. Well, if you cheat every day, it's not a diet anymore, right? What about this? What if you woke up in the morning and told God what you were thankful for every day for 30 days? What if you didn't grab your cell phone when you woke up, you just sat on the edge of your bed and said, God, I'm thankful for my, my spouse, for my family. I'm thankful for health. I'm thankful for your son, Jesus, who you gave for me, the little things in life. Now, perhaps you start to see that you're gonna detox from some of the sins of the flesh. So moving on, what's the, the second thing that we find from reading in James, the second toxic influence in our life is the world. You can write that in. The world. We're gonna spend a little bit of time here in John 17, okay? And uh, this is... This is a piece of scripture that uh, has challenged me a lot through the years, and we've had some deep discussions in ministry about John 17. But let's read together in, in 17. Oh, I think it's on, maybe it's not in the notes, but we're gonna, I'm going to read in John 17, 9. Yeah, it is there. Here's what it says. It says, I pray for them. This is Jesus, by the way. He's praying to God, okay? It says, I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world. I'm praying for those you have given me, for they are yours. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me so that they may be as we are, as one. Why is Jesus praying to the Father for us? I mean, Lord knows we all need a lot of prayer, but Jesus knows that he loves the world that he created. God created the world, right? We get that. Seven days, it says in Genesis, God created the world and he created all things in it. But God loves the world, but he hates the world system. He hates the way that human beings live outside of a relationship with him. He hates it. So Jesus is here petitioning for us, praying for us to God. You know, the Greek word for world, do you know what it is? It's cosmos. It's, it started, but it's spelled with a K in the Greek. So the word cosmos, uh, theologians would say there's between eight and 16 different 
uses of the word cosmos in the Bible. And on one sense, the word cosmos is talking about the world that God created. And he's talking about humanity, the non-elected humanity. What that means is, in John 3.16, we all know that, that scripture, one of the most famous scriptures for evangelism, says God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall have everlasting life. What he means there is, all, all that God created, all the, the mankind that God created, he loved so much that he gave his son. But, but it also refers to the world in those who didn't elect a life for Christ. And, and, that's, and unfortunately, that scripture, that, that word for cosmos means that God, he, he severely dislikes that form of the world. Jesus' intercession and prayer for us in this scripture are actually tied to his humanity. Because you know, Jesus was 100% God and 100% man, right? So he's praying because he knows the difference between those that God would wish to have salvation, which is all of us, and those who deny him. And because of his humanity, Jesus knows that we're all subject to toxic influences of many kinds. What are some examples of toxic influences of the world? Well, one would be those things we see with our eyes. Okay, what about, um, what about movies? What about all the different things we see in movies? Okay, what about everything from rated from G to R and everything in between? We see that with our eyes. We see violence at times. We see strong sexual content at times. We see horror. We see anger. We see strong language. And I'm not going to tell you what you should watch and not watch. We'll get into that maybe a little bit more here in just a moment. But what about all those things that, are, that we're seeing and that we're processing and that go deep into our you know, our mind and our hearts. What about the media? This is a t- what are we in for the next 12 to 15 months, right? We're gonna see more political advertisements than you can ever wanna see again in your life. And if you tune into one radio station versus another, or if you watch one news channel versus the other, what's gonna happen? You're gonna get so swayed. If all you did was watch or listen to that one station versus the other, you'd be so, sw- and we see this, don't we? You'd be so swayed to one end of the spectrum or the other and you, that's, you think that's, that's all the truth is what you see or hear in that regard. So certainly the media has an influence. What about billboards and magazines? What are you driving down the road? And I mean, it's shocking what you can see on a billboard or in a magazine. I mean, there was a period of time where a Victoria's Secret catalog would come to our house and I would say, there's that woman looking at me again, you know? But, and I get it, like, guys, I get it. Like women, you shop at Victoria's Secret and, and enjoy it and do all that stuff, you know? But I mean, it's like, guys see that stuff and it's like, things, things happen. We see those things and our mind starts going, our flesh starts going to places. What about what we hear? Have you guys ever thought about this? What about the things we hear being toxic influences? Music. Years ago, I used to have a playlist on my iPod and one of my favorite songs on there was from a band called Van Halen. And it was a song called Running With The Devil. You guys remember that song? Is that cool melody, man. And I mean, I used to just, dun, dun, you know, I'm just rocking out. And it would help me in pregame when I played football. I'd get really excited and pumped up listening to this song. So in 2003, I committed my life to Christ. And God started to convict me about certain things. And that was one of the things he convicted me about. You know, I'm sitting here, cheering, you know, singing this song, running with the devil and all this stuff. All of a sudden it occurred to me, that would be like being in school and getting beat up by a bully every day. And then your best friend, one day you're at lunch and your best friend's sitting next to you eating and he's just, he's just singing a song about the bully. He's like, yeah, Travis, or whatever the guy's name, you know, he's singing a song about the bully. And you're like, dude, he beats me up every day and you're sitting here singing the song about him. I mean, I, 
Your best friend wouldn't, I mean, we know that. Your best friend's not going to do that intentionally, but it's kind of a slap in the face, right? And I think sometimes God sits up there and goes, dude, really? You know? You know, music affects us both consciously and subconsciously. I think about if you've ever planned a wedding or been a part of a wedding, how much effort goes into planning a song, the songs, right? When you're going down the aisle, what's playing? What about the daddy-daughter dance? I mean, so much thought goes into that because you want it to be a song that represents your relationship with your dad and you want to have that memory. What about you high school sweethearts in here? What about your first dance? Right, you hear that song again or whenever that was. Doesn't that bring back memories and all these things? I mean, what about the power that music has to save lives? You guys ever listen to K-Love and there's these positive stories of people calling in that were literally about to commit suicide and they hear a song on the radio that, I mean, literally transforms their lives. Grant, you know this. I mean, music has incredible power, but it also has a subconscious power. I mean, just think about this. What if, what if Van Halen released a new album? It was a Christian album. And what if, you know, like, what if, uh, what if they change the lyrics? What if David Lee Roth is, is in there singing, uh, running with the Savior or something like that, right? As opposed to running with the, I, I started doing that when God was convicting me. I started just, I would change the lyrics. I would almost freestyle the lyrics to, you know, to, to worship God. What if, you know, that song Jump? Remember that song Jump by Van Halen? What if, they, what if all of a sudden they were singing, uh, you know, uh, uh, what would we say? Um, Jesus rose up, dun, dun, dun. He died and rose for us. Dun, 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 dun. I mean, what if they started singing? But imagine, I know it's cheesy and I don't have a great singing voice, but what, imagine what would happen if, if Van Halen came out with a new Christian album. Think about all those people that listen to Van Halen. I mean, do you think they would take notice? Do you think if they sung about Jesus all day that people would start to be influenced for Jesus? I think so. There's power in music. What about the subconscious aspects of music? What about the heavy cussing? What about the anger that's in some songs? What about the sexual content? You know, sometimes you can sing a song because it has a cool melody. Scott's, Scott's talked about some of these songs before. You know, there's, there's mainstream songs that many of us know and we don't even listen to the lyrics, but if you sing lyrics over and over enough, you know, they kind of take effect. Can you imagine how much more or less likely you would be to focus on you know, things like angry things or, or foul language things, if all you did was listen to songs about foul language all day. It's kind of the same thing, like, you know, I speak of Caleb again. I, you don't have to listen to Caleb all day long. That's not what I'm saying. But they do this 30-day challenge. They encourage people to listen to Caleb for 30 days. There you go, new habit building, right? Because it changes and transforms your life. You, you, you just listen to music that's encouraging and positive, and it has a subconscious effect. So, listen, another thing we hear, crude humor. You ever gone to a comedian that's, so bad and so foul. I mean, it, it's funny for a few minutes and then it's just so bad you can't hardly stand to listen to. Romans 14, I'm not gonna get into it today, but I encourage, I think as a homework assignment, everybody should go home and just read Romans 14. Because what Paul's talking about, guys, he's talking about the difference between one man who feels free, he has Christian liberty to eat what he wants to eat, to celebrate the holidays that he wants to celebrate, right? But he says, but, but Romans 14 says, don't treat your brothers with contempt, for what they feel is right in the Lord. But it does say that we'll all stand in judgment before the Lord. So guys, don't get hung up on this. I'm not, I'm not talking about legal, legalistic Christian, Christianity, okay? I'm not talking about if we, if we go somewhere and, and I enjoy a beer or something like that, or you hear a secular rock song and you go and you're like, hey man, you, sh- you really shouldn't be doing that. That's not, you know, that's not godly. I'm not talking about judgment and condemnation. I'm just talking about 
understand that there are influences of the world that aren't really good for us, okay? Are you guys with me on that? Okay, don't, don't hear me the wrong way on this. What does a clean comedian typically joke about? What's that guy, Tim Hawkins? You guys ever heard this guy, Tim Hawkins? He's super funny. I think he's coming back to town. You should check him out. But what does he joke about? He jokes about life, right? And we make light of life sometimes. It can actually cause somebody to get a little bit angry or mad. Now, I've been guilty. I'll stand up here and tell jokes during announcements. And, and, and I know sometimes it can rub somebody a little bit wrong. So forgive me if I've ever done that. But we just got to just try to focus a little bit on the things that, that, um, that we hear and we see because we want to know that we're honoring God with those things. What about lies and negativity? Would you guys agree those are both things that we can hear that can really affect us negatively? Okay. Detox, to detox from the influences of the world, we've got to understand that Jesus commands us to be in the world, but not of the world. You guys ever heard that? And they have little bumper stickers now, like N-O-T-W, not of this world. That's, that's what it's talking about. We're going to take a little bit further here in John 17. In verse 6, Jesus says, I have revealed to you those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me. They have obeyed your word. Now they know everything you have given me comes from you. So it's, it's important to realize we came from the world. God gave us to Jesus. When we make that decision for Christ, we were, we were of the world. And through repentance and belief in Jesus Christ, we're taken out of the world. That's what it means there. It's, it's the first part of that. Jesus commands us to be in the world, but not of the world. We used to be of the world. Now we're no longer. Let's take a little bit further in John 17, 14. It says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they're not of the world any more than I am of the world. He's saying, I gave them their, your word. Your spirit makes them new and now they're no longer of the world any more than Jesus is of the world. So Jesus is saying there, we should be different than the world. We should be set apart, right? We should be, we should, there should be a noticeable difference between the way a Christian lives your lives and the way a non-believer does. Why? Well, it's not because you want to be self-righteous or you want to be legalistic or you want to condemn anybody. It's because there should be an outward expression of an inward faith. You guys know that scripture? I mean, you know, listen, don't be of the world any more than Jesus was of the world. You're made renew. We're made new through the, Holy Spirit. Listen, much debate goes into the comparison between Christian liberties and holiness, right? A lot, a lot, a lot. And if you've never had a debate with somebody about what liberties do Christians have, you know, versus being holy, pious, upright Christians, well, probably the day is coming and not so far ahead. Going back to Romans, where Paul's writing to the uh, new believers and he's saying, you know, don't condemn one another. If, if it's right to one man and he knows that God said it's okay and it doesn't cause him to stumble, don't pass judgment, but be careful among those people whose faith are a little less mature. See, Jesus spent tons of time in society, so much so that in Matthew 11, he was called a glutton, a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and of sinners. In fact, that, that scripture says, the son of man came eating and drinking. What does that mean? It means Jesus, when he was at a party, I mean, he enjoyed wine. I mean, the night before he died, what did he do? He took the cup and he said, drink of this in remembrance. It wasn't water, right? It was wine. And that's why we take communion. We take it with grape juice, but, you know, it's still, it was wine. And what, it says he was eating. What do you guys think that refers to? 
Well, there was all sorts of things that under the old law, the Old Testament, you, you were not at liberty to eat. There was meats and seafoods and things. And, and it says Jesus came eating and drinking and he was called a glutton. He was called a, a drunkard. L- listen, if, you, if you're gonna stand out from the world, guys, if you're gonna be set apart, people are gonna notice. And they're not always gonna come pat you on the back and say, good job, Christian. Good job, Christian, you're doing good. They're gonna, it's gonna oppose people. When I played football for, for seasons, I wouldn't drink. And it wasn't because I was trying to be holy or righteous. It's because I, I thought it affected my ability to focus. And it alienated me from my teammates, you know? And I struggle with that. I, I wanted to belong, I wanted to be relevant to them, but I didn't want to suffer the same things they suffered from. And you know what Jesus did? Well, here, let's read here in 17, 15, just this last part. I'm gonna tell you what, what Jesus did. He said, he said, we are to remain in the world. Let's read the scripture. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world. He's telling God, God, I don't pray that you take all the Christians up in the rapture right now. I mean, that would be nice, wouldn't it? Amen to that. Some days, wouldn't you just like to be taken up into heaven? Get rid of all this junk and, and leave? But he said, no, my prayer is not that, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. You know what Jesus, you know what one of Jesus' greatest quality was? Is that he was relevant. He had the ability to relate to, to drunkards, to tax collectors, to adulterers, right? To the sinners. He had an ability to go to them and not, be, not stand out so much and alienate himself so much that they didn't have any confidence or trust in him. He had the ability to approach a sinner, you and me, without making us feel awkward. Like, like a pastor on a plane, pastors will joke about this. You know, you're sitting on a plane next to a person and then you get into the conversation, where are you from? What do you do? And all of a sudden there's that moment when somebody asks the pastor, what do you do? After they've already dropped about 10 F-bombs on the, the, on the flight, right? He says, well, I'm a pastor. And they go, oh, cool, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, man. I didn't mean to say, say all those things. You know, it's a joke, but I mean, that happens a lot. Scott will tell you if, you know, whenever he flies, he always engages in some conversation and that happens. But Jesus had a way of being relevant so that he could share who he really was without condemning. In fact, he said, didn't he say, I'm not here to condemn, I came to serve, to save the people. So the third way we need to detox from influences of the world is to remain in it. And the reason is, guys, Matthew 28, we know God told us to go out and make disciples of all nations. If all the Christians got raptured up because our life is not so enchanting right now or is, insert the blank, then there would be no, nobody to share the gospel. There would be no Christian uh, and Rusties to go evangelize in a Muslim nation amongst the Moani people and have baptisms with those people. That wouldn't happen if we were all taken up into heaven. So Jesus left us in the world for a reason, to be a light, to be the salt in the earth, and to impact people's lives. Amen? All right. The third influence of the uh, toxic influence is the devil. Okay? 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now, if you've never been in a Christian church or a church of any kind, you probably have still heard of the devil. You're still aware of this being the devil. Little, little kids dressed like the devil with the little horns at Halloween time. And we, we generally know and accept the devil is not good, right? Generally. Humanity generally accepts that. But when I think of the devil, I think of, I think of this. And I'm going to use a sports analogy. So Super Bowl 42 happened a few years ago. You guys may remember. This was when 
the Patriots, who went 18-0, best record in the history of NFL football, were facing the New York Giants, who were 10-6, and six, so they had six losses. And by the way, the last regular season game, the Patriots had actually beaten the Giants. So the Patriots go 18-0 to get to the Super Bowl. They draw the Giants, who barely made the playoffs as a wild card. They, they win all three games. Is it three? Yeah, I guess they win all three games, go to the Super Bowl. So here's the Patriots, the best team in NFL history, who have beaten the Giants in the regular season. They have, this is one of the most lopsided battles in Super Bowl history. Well, you know what ends up happening. If you guys remember, um, the last drive the Giants were down, and there's that, that play where um, Eli Manning throws a pass to um, David Terrell, one-handed, and he catches it on his helmet. If you guys remember that replay? And as he's falling to the ground, he, he makes the catch. He holds onto the ball, and they end up going and score a touchdown. Well, they beat the Patriots. So everything was stacked up in the Patriots' favor just like everything stacked up in our favor to defeat the, the enemy. Jesus has given us everything that we need to defeat evil and to come against the enemy. But somehow, if you sleep or if you let down your guard for even a moment, what happens? The devil starts telling lies, his main tool, right? He starts condemning us for things. He starts making us think that scripture that we know is true isn't really true. So he comes to steal deceive, destroy. That's his whole motive of operandus. So if we're going to detox from the influence of the devil, the first thing we need to do is resist him and he will flee. I think you should write that on your notes, even if you're not taking notes, write it in your mental notes, because this is an incredibly powerful tool. Going back to James 4, right? That first scripture we read today, I don't know if it's, it's easy to get to if you guys on the AV guys can put that back up, but um, I just want to highlight one part of that. <clears throat> Where are we at here? Um, he says in verse seven, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Hey, take it to the bank, guys. It says in scripture, I mean, this is God breathed. He says, resist the devil and he will flee. Well, what does it mean to resist him? That's, I mean, some people, guys, and I'm not, this is, some people will label, this is maybe hyper-spirituality, but it's scriptural. And so when you come up against something and you know that the devil's at work, say it. Say, devil, I'm not going to succumb to what you're telling me, what, what your lies are in my life. I'm going to oppose. I'm going to change my thoughts, which Scott talked about last week, and trust that the enemy will flee. Believe it. It's scriptural. Check this out. The, the second uh, way to detox is remind yourself that he is inferior to God. Remind yourself. Now, I did a little study this week because you guys know the devil was the fallen angel. You guys know about that, the scriptures? I had to go back and research because I wanted to know where did the Bible talk about the devil having presence in heaven, which it does because in the book of Job, Job is being afflicted with like the worst things in life that you or me could ever fathom. I mean, imagine if, you, if your health just completely tanked. What happens if your, all of your family was taken, their lives were taken from you? What happens with all of your belongings, your house, your income, your cars, your clothes? What if all that was stripped from you? How faithful would you be? Well, it says in the book of Job that the enemy was in the presence of God in heaven. And he was actually petitioning against Job. So we know the devil was angelic and it says that he has other angels in his army. It says he was banished to hell. So the devil's a fallen enemy, uh, the fallen angel rather. Okay, so if resisting him isn't enough, let's take a look in Romans 16. It's a very short scripture. Romans 16, 20 says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. 
right? I mean, that's scriptural. Resist him, oppose him, and God's gonna crush him under, his, under your feet just like he did with Jesus. Here's another one. Luke 10 says, behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over, over all power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. These are promises from God, guys. These aren't me standing at a pulpit saying, you know, in my own self-righteousness, oppose the enemy and your life's gonna be shiny. No, I'm telling you that scripturally, God tells us, Jesus tells us to oppose, to resist, to come against the enemy and he won't have influence in your life. Gotta remember the last point here, last way to detox is remember that the devil's a liar, okay? Whereas on one hand, God, guys, God cannot tell a lie. The devil cannot tell a truth. He can, he can use scriptures and he can manipulate them, but he's a liar. So remember that. Now, I'm not gonna get into to deep theology about this. How do you know when the devil is at work in your life? How do you know? I mean, if somebody asked you, if, those of you who've been Christians for a long time, how, somebody came and asked you, how do you, know when it's the, how do you know when it's the devil? Right, you've heard, you know, like ladies in a parking lot and somebody steals their spot and they're like, oh, that's the devil, you know, and I mean, all this stuff. And it's like, uh, maybe, probably not though. So how do you know when it's the devil? Well, I would tell you this. There are things you can control in life and things you can't control. There's a physical realm and a spiritual realm. Here in America, we probably operate 90% in the physical realm. But in a lot of countries around the world, and I've known missionaries that go to like Colombia and Ecuador and I mean, South America and, and Africa, there's some really dark places. They function, most of those places, especially third world countries, they're like 90% in the spiritual because they don't have material things to rely on. So I would tell you this, when you're wondering if it's the devil, I would encourage you to ask yourself, is it something that I can control? Is it my decisions about what I say, what I do, what I look at, what I watch? Do I have a repentant heart toward God? And if it's not, yeah, there's a chance that it might be the devil coming against you, okay? And the devil has a lot of power. I'm not gonna deny that. I'm not gonna speak into existence that he has power over me or any of you, but he, he has power, okay? And so if you ask yourself, is this something that I can control? And if it's not, and you just feel like there's spiritual warfare going on in your life where your, your spirit and your flesh are battling, yeah, maybe it's, maybe it's the devil at work. So come against him, pray, God, would you just deliver me from this? I'm gonna resist him. I'm gonna do everything I can, but you've gotta do the rest. Rely on the spirit, okay? So as we wrap up, guys, um, I I wanna just give us three key things this week, okay? And I know we've talked about a bunch of bullet points and fill-ins, but I want you to, uh, I want you to trust God to tell you when you're being negatively influenced, whether it's the world, whether it's the flesh, or whether it's the devil, trust God. And if you haven't made a decision for Christ, that doesn't mean you have to be a more righteous person right away. It means that I'm trusting Jesus to conform me to his likeness, to do what's best for my life, to help me make decisions that I can't make on my own, and hopefully my spouse as well. So trust God to tell you when you're being negatively influenced and by what you're being influenced by. This is a thing called discernment. That's what the Bible talks about. It's actually a gift of the Spirit. So when you give your heart to Jesus, you start following him, he gives us the Holy Spirit. And one of those gifts is the spirit of discernment so that we can learn when we're opposing God's will and we're being influenced. Secondly, guys, don't get hung up on what's not going right or who's not doing right. Don't get so hung up 
on the people in your church or at your workplace who are professed Christians who aren't really doing what you think is godly. Now, there is a place when you're supposed to come to a fellow believer and say, bro, sis, I don't, I don't really think that's what God wanted for you in that situation. There's a place for that. It's healthy, it's scriptural. But generally speaking, have a little grace. When people aren't doing what you think is right, have a little grace because we get a whole bunch ourselves. Remember that, right? We don't deserve what God gave us. And when things aren't going the way that you think they are, remember that heaven's just around the corner. I'm not saying to wish that you can die tomorrow because I don't, I don't think God, remember, he left us in the world for a reason. But just know heaven's around the corner. And lastly, when you get fed up about things that are influences, influencing your life negatively, why don't we just stop complaining for a minute and why don't we just go try to positively influence somebody else's life? Think about that, huh? Next time you wanna, we want to feel like we wanna complain about something, why don't we just stop until you have a little look around therapy, right? It's what we call look around therapy. Look around and find somebody who's struggling a little bit and maybe go love on them. Ask how you can pray for them. You know, go mentor them. Influence somebody positively instead of being influenced negatively by the world, by your flesh, by the devil. 